Father, we thank you. We know those words are true. That we are to take all our concerns to you in prayer. That we have the opportunity to tell you, Jesus, and you hear. And so, God, we bring our concerns as a body. We pray for our nation. We ask, God, that you would um, be working through us. We pray you'd work through the elections. We ask that your will would be done. We also come before you and we thank you as a body for the way that you have been at work in our lives. We want to not rush through that as we come to this point in the week where we set aside time to worship you. We tell you thanks. Thank you. Spirit of God, we ask that you would come and use these words to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You know, there's some things in life that you can't be neutral about. I mean, it's okay, like, for instance, like you're sitting at a restaurant and someone comes to you and says, uh, would you like Coke or a Pepsi? And you can, I don't really care, right? But if someone was to actually hand you a Coke laced with potassium cyanide, that's one you better not be neutral about, right? I mean, we may laugh at that in one sense, but all you have to do is remember Jim Jones and 913 members of People's Temple who were told to drink grape-flavored Kool-Aid. And it was laced with that poison. There's another thing that's important, and that is what we label. There's some things we can't be neutral upon, but there's some things that we need to be very careful what we label. It's very important that we don't label something that is good, bad. Or it is important that we don't label something evil, good. Labels are very important. In fact, we have skull and crossbones that we put on substances that have um, the power to harm us greatly. They're destructive and dangerous. But it would be a horrible thing if someone took those labels and they put labels on those things which are good and put those things which are destructive and then vice versa. You may be wondering, what about this neutrality and this whole idea of labeling? The reason I bring it up is because when we come to Matthew chapter 12, we see the opposition that's been gathering and gaining against Jesus Christ. Jesus has shown his glory through these first chapters. We see the glory of Jesus being revealed. The disciples sent out in chapter 10, chapter 11. There's a bunch of different responses to Jesus. We come to chapter 12 and Jesus is now talking. And he shares the fact to the group of the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, that they need to be careful that what they build their foundation upon and how they use the word of God. In fact, he basically says that what you're using it isn't correct. And now we come to this passage of Scripture, and what I think is really interesting is Matthew is calling for response, and he's looking at people, and in, in, in this passage, in an indirect way, he'll say, there are some things you can't be neutral about. But in a very direct way, he also looks at some others and he says, there's some things you better be very careful how you label it. Look at these verses, if you would, in chapter 22, uh, chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus calls attention to this danger of what I call neutrality and the horror of improper labeling. Verse 22, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said with neutral curiosity, Could this be the son of David? 
Could be, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, this is a really interesting. Wow, it's pretty awesome what happened, but they're pretty neutral. Just curious. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, since they said, it's only by Beelzebub. The label Prince of Demons that this fellow drives out demons. And here's a labeling that Jesus is going to in a few moments directly deal with. Because it's a very dangerous activity to, from a religiously controlling viewpoint is what you have here. To label something that is good and right and holy and graceful and merciful and loving and and full of wonder. And to label it evil. Verse 25, as we continue, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then you go ahead and and judge, make a discrimination. Go ahead, put a label on it, but be really careful. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus, in his characteristic fashion, says, or again, one more illustration. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first tries up the strong man and then, in that process, he can rob his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters and very directly to those labeling he says so I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven but anyone who speaks a word though he says is interesting against the Son of Man will be forgiven but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come which is a very simple way at that last, either in this age or in the age to come, for Jesus to say, never. Never. If you look at these verses, verse 22, I think the first thing I want you to notice is because as you read through this, you kind of go, what is Matthew getting at? What is Jesus doing here as you look at his ministry and his life? And, and Matthew is obviously seeking to make some kind of point. He's, he's trying to get us to understand some things. And I think one of the very first things that you see in verse 22 is that Matthew wants us to understand Jesus lives in such a way and demonstrates such a way, in this way that what is spiritual actually impacts that which is physical. It's a very important thing for us to understand in our culture, in our day and age, in the Western world that we live in. You see, in our scientific, rationalistic, mechanistic culture that we've all grown up with and over the last hundred years, the advances that have been made in science are those that cause you to wonder. It is only the grace of God that He has given the creativity and the, the uh, mental initiative to be able to, to understand the world which He's created, this Father's world, and to be able to, to, to take things like moving from horse and a buggy to flying in planes and, and being able to take and, 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 and write with a, 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 a ink with a feather pen to move to a place where you can actually talk into a little mechanism and it can actually bring the words up on its screen. I mean, it's amazing the kind of things that our ability to understand with our mind what science has given us to do 
and all its implications that God has blessed us with. It's amazing, but sometimes in the amazingness of it, we begin to give glory and praise to that which is really of man. And we lose sight of what is true in God's word. We lose sight of some simple things in, in our desire, even in, in science and medicine, to understand all the implications of it, which God has blessed us with. And science, which tells us that you can only see that which you can test and that verify. And if it's, if it's something that is observable and repeatable, that's true. Which cancels out the spirit. And we're living in a day and an age where people are hungry once again for those things which are of the Spirit. They're beginning to lose a little bit of faith in man's ability to understand all creation in order to solve all the difficulties of creation. And then you have Jesus who comes about, who comes to a man who is both blind and mute, and he works on the Spirit to, in this sense, do something in the physical. So if you look at verse 22... They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Luke writes it this way. Luke says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. He attributes that which is physical to something that's happening in the spirit, and in this sense, an unclean spirit, that somehow had gained entry into this man's life that had caused his spirit to some way be crippled or muted or in some way unable to see, and as a result of that, has shown itself up in the physical. Now, you have to understand this. Luke was a medical doctor. He was trained in the Harvard of his day. He was a a very bright man. In that Middle Eastern area, he went to some. He went to one of the the best schools of thought with regard to medical means, and, and, and people don't realize how much they did understand in that day about the body. And so Luke is very interested when he writes his gospel. You'll see as you read through the Gospel of Luke, he'll have stories about healing, and he'll use words that are not used by the other gospel writers that that are often medical terms. And so Luke, in this sense, realizes that here's a, a physical. Infirmity that has been caused by something in the spirit. Now, you can also read other places in Luke because he knows we live in a fallen world. We know that sin enters in in different ways where he will actually not talk about anything kind of like an unclean spirit or with the spirit is he'll talk about the physical illness itself, which calls for great discernment. That's one of the wonderful things about walking with God. We are people who have been given a heart and, a, and, and, as Jesus would say, ears to hear. We're to listen with the Spirit and take those things that we see with the Spirit, examine His Word, not like the Pharisees to use His Word to control and put things in boxes, but examine His Word to hear the Spirit in line with the body of Christ, other people who are hungry and, and walking with the Lord, and allow Him to guide us, which is a way of living in complete Humility and discernment on a God that is in control. And so Luke and the Gospels, they leave, I just say it, they leave room for complexity. But in this case, the spiritual had impacted the physical body, and Luke reports that, and Matthew does as well, and Jesus saw it and understood it. He saw the spiritual being manifested in the physical condition of this man. And this man's spirit was inflicted so that he couldn't talk or see. Folks, that's one of the reasons I, I, I have you know, call people once a month to come and pray at 6 in the morning, noon, or at 6 at night. This church was founded on some women 
who had a burden for this area. And you know what they did? They came together and they didn't do potlucks. They didn't do Sunday school activity. They didn't do any of that. They came together and prayed. Because prayer is an incredibly powerful spiritual experience. Not just an experience. It is a reliance and dependence that says, God, we realize that what happens in the physical takes place because of our connection with you in the spiritual and our ability by your spirit to speak your word into situations to change the very environment and sometimes the very physical conditions that are occurring in our own body or in others. Prayer is the one thing that Satan would love to have us not do. And I'll just say, I'll give you an example. Jesus, when he was going to the cross, do you know what he did? He spent time before the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. And do you know that the battle for our souls was won at that point as he spiritually came before the Father, wrestled with it, won the battle there, and then walked it out in the physical on the cross. Does does it ring a bell? So here is Jesus. Through the power of the Spirit, binds the spirit of infirmity and drives it away from the man's spirit so the body was healed. So now I want you to think about this for a second. I want, I want to teach you something that I believe you can find all throughout Scripture. There is this truth that Satan and his spirits can gain entry, they can inflict injury, they can grab a foothold in a life, Because Paul says, watch out, don't let Satan grab a foothold. He can grab a foothold in his life through three ways. He has the ability, his spirits love to come on what I would call unhealed wounds. Those kind of things, when we have been injured or hurt when we were younger or some process throughout our life, and that injury to the spirit, I'm not talking about physical, the injury to the spirit, whatever that might be, is not healed. And as a result of it, it becomes infected and festers and it allows entry for the spirit, unclean spirit, to move in such a way that it can actually impart not just relational damage, but physical damage. I'm not saying all cases are that way, but the word of God makes that very clear. We're also told in the word of God that we are to be very careful with our relationships with one another. Because not only can there be unhealed wounds that can allow for for entrance to, to be gained... But it is also true that in our relationships that are left unforgiven, and, and Paul says to be at peace as far as you can be with any person, in those kind of situations, when there is that going on, it allows for opportunity. It's not just about the relationship. It is the possibility that through that, through a spirit that's bitter, that through a spirit that, that is unwilling to forgive, that entrance can be gained and it shows up physically. There's another area, not just unresolved conflicts, but unmet needs. We have needs, every one of us. We all have needs. God's created our physical bodies with needs. And and it's very important, and, and we don't teach enough on this, that we are made in such a way that we are given a spirit that needs to be... Uh, I want to just tell you this. We have a spirit with a soul. Soul has, the, has our emotions and our will, and, and, and it has our mind. And we're given physical bodies. Those things all interact together. We're very intricately made. 
But we are intended not to live with our mind with God, nor our emotions necessarily with God. We are intended to live that our spirit would be made alive. So if you've never opened up your heart to God, you've never said and and said, Jesus, I would like for you to become a part of my life. I want to follow you. I recognize that I have need of you. In humility, I come confess my sins, open my heart to you. When you do that, he puts within you his spirit. He makes your spirit alive to him. And as that happens... You have now all the power of God to become alive to Him. And so we have these needs, physical needs. We have emotional needs, all these things. And so here's what happens. And when unmet needs are are not met in ways that God intended for them to be met. So you become very stressed out and you're very nervous. And what do you do? You overeat. And what happens eventually through overeating? Hurts your body. Let's say you're in a situation where you're just completely highly stressed and, and what happens over time if you can't sleep and you have insomnia, it hurts your, your physical well-being. People have needs for intimacy. Legitimate needs to be intimate with someone. So you're married to your spouse and yet in your relationship you haven't dealt with maybe some unmet um, some unhealed wounds, and so you have these relational patterns that are not good, and they are destructive and not healthy, and so you just kind of work through your life, but you don't feel the intimacy that you really long for, and as a result of that, you turn to pornography, because that in some way takes care of this need momentarily. See, Satan is always seeking to gain entrance through either an unhealed wound, through some kind of unresolved conflict, or through some kind of unmet need in order that he can destroy you. And that's his desire. And Jesus was well aware of it. So when this person came to him, he looked at him and he realized he had discernment and understanding. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he came to the man or if he spent some time and brought some disciples around and prayed. But he dealt with this man at that level and he brought healing. See, Satan gets a foothold and on that ground he builds a stronghold. And I want you to think about it. If there are areas in your life that are not victorious, you're not moving forward in the Lord, there is a good chance that there's some entrance and there is a stronghold. And here's the good news. The power of the Holy Spirit is available for you to break that. And all the rule keeping, all the religiosity in the world, all the church going will not bring about that kind of healing that God wants. But the opposite is true, that a brittle and a broken and a bitter spirit will eventually manifest itself. And we we just kind of think, well, it's just a relationship thing. It isn't, folks. It's so much more deeper and intricate than what we understand and what God sees. What I think is um, kind of a... A wonderful example of this, and some of you remember a few years ago, we had Maureen Pranghoffer came and she shared her, her story of how God was working in her life because things were just moving in her life with regards to some physical healing that was taking place. And she would come on some of these Wednesdays, she would come at the noon hour and she would lead, some of you know, she would lead us in worship. And she'd share her story and how God was doing things through her life over time and we would see she'd come another week and she would something else would be moving forward in her life physically as a result of it let me share with you she she it's it's found in one of the newspapers giving thanks for a miracle says subtitle golden valley woman is able to stand walk for first time in 12 years maureen pranghoffer's list of things she's thankful for was written a couple years ago around thanksgiving uh, will surprise you The Golden Valley woman is grateful for being able to comb her own hair, eat with its silverware, take a shower, and, oh yes, being able to stand and walk for the first time in 12 years. 
Rewind to 1966, 1996. Maureen and her husband, Paul, then 42 years of age, were returning from a family reunion in Kimball, Minnesota, when they were involved in a traffic accident on Highway 55 near Buffalo. Maureen, who has been blind since birth and has what is called osteogenesis imperfecta, which just means brittle bone disorder. In that accident, broke her bones in her right forearm and both her legs broken at the knees. And due to the extent of her injuries, Maureen was unable to return home until 16 months after the accident. She was in a wheelchair and bound to it, unable to use her legs, trunk muscles, or her right hand. Well, right around 1996, that's when that happened. She, from that point on, to 2001 needed 24-hour care seven days a week. After Maureen's 33rd surgery in 2006, when her words, when in her words she was just bored out of my mind, because she's sitting around, she commented and and she said she had connected watching some church channel on TV and she began to spend long hours reading her Bible in Braille. The praying offers are longtime members of a good evangelical church. She's walked with Jesus all through this time. But she said there was a spiritual awakening that began to occur in her. After some deep discussions with a good friend of hers, she'd met with a pastor. Maureen said she felt like she was being called to seek forgiveness and, and repentance and just to go into a deep place of repentance and saying, God, help me understand. Is there anything that you need to bring up? And what came up in her life was this relationship, one, with her mother, which she didn't even realize. There were wounds that were inflicted there, and there was a, a state of unforgiveness that she wasn't even fully sure of that the Holy Spirit began to reveal to her. And she went through a process of forgiveness. And as a result of that, she started talking with some people, and some of her friends, and, and she, she went down in June of 2006 seven after all kinds of soul searching beginning this process and she spent a couple weeks at a place called be in health down in georgia's international ministry which was based on scriptural insight and understanding teaching the relationship between how the bible interacts with our health and wellness when she came back she began to start experiencing some health in her body and as it was beginning to happen the pastor said to her you know you need to make sure this is medically verified and so she went ahead and she, she actually checked herself into Sister Kenny's rehabilitation program. So they began to watch what was going on in her body. She said that my spinal cord injury doctor said it was divine intervention that my nerves were actually waking up. Nerves don't do that. I started to grasp and pick up things I could eat for the first time with real silverware. An MRI they took showed that my spine had become straight when it wasn't before. I, I, I share this because God is at work. And I'm not sharing this if you're in a physical condition where you're, where you're going and you've been pleading, you've been waiting on God. I'm not saying go to shame. That's not what it's about. It's about discerning and understanding that God works through His Spirit to the physical. Sometimes, as Luke tells us, it's different. But we do know this, and Jesus seemed to demonstrate it, that I think in our culture today, we as churches have moved away from the fact that the spiritual truly impacts the physical in order to protect people we sometimes don't go there. And so in 2007, that September, she stood for the first time, was able to walk throughout her home with a walker. 
And then on April, July 18th of that year, she walked into church for the first time with a walker. She has been on seven-day, 24-hour care. This last, about three weeks ago, she released her personal attendants. She has not need of them. And this is right in our midst. This is not somewhere in China or Africa. We could bring Maureen to talk about what God's doing. And my, my prayer would be if God is speaking and he's saying, I want to give you faith. There may be that God is moving in your spirit and, and he's going to give you some spiritual awakening. We are a church and a body that believes in the word of God and believes that God works through our spirit. Because our spirit, your spirit, my spirit, the most important thing needs to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. For in that relationship, we begin to move towards him so that we walk in a sense that we bring heaven down to earth today and we also move into heaven forever. But if you choose and refuse, which we'll see in a few moments, to not do that, you walk away from that. And it says in his word that you move to a place of unforgiveness and a place that is also, Jesus is very clear about, that leads to an eternal place of torment and separation, which we call hell. So look at the reactions here. There's what I call neutral curiosity and negative condemnation, verses 23 through 25. All the people were astonished. Could this be? Maybe, possibly, in the Pharisees, verse 24, say, look, at it's only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And what I think is interesting here is not one of the two groups had a problem with the spiritual impact and the physical. They were just wondering, is this Jesus who comes and we're seeing these signs and these wonders and this movement of God as we see the Holy Spirit at work? Here's the question. Is Jesus really the presence and power of God? Is Jesus the anointed one where the Holy Spirit comes then manifests the work of God? That's the question. In verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. Whether Jesus supernaturally read their thoughts and was given a word of knowledge, or whether Jesus could read their faces and knew what they had already been saying, doesn't say here. What we do know is this. That this wasn't the first time in Matthew that the Pharisees had begun to slander and put a negative condemning level label on Jesus and more than that, the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty four. Jesus heals two blind men and on his way out, Jesus is kind of humorous almost. He heals two blind men on his way out. There's a guy who's mute and he kind of goes, yeah, and you too. He heals the mute, and it says in that scripture, the people were in wonder and awe, but the Pharisees said the very same thing. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. They began to talk to one another, and they spread the label to other people so that these people would also be infected with the very poison that's in them. So you go to chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, where Jesus is taking his, his disciples and he's saying, I want to send you out to do the very same kind of works. Um, the, the rabbi, not only do you teach what the rabbi teaches, but you do what the rabbi does. So you're going to go out and teach and do what I do. And I'm going to give you some instructions. And here's one of those instructions he gives them. Verse 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Now catch this. If the head of the house, Jesus is saying himself, who comes from God from heaven, has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Be ready. 
When the Spirit of God comes and when the Spirit of God manifests Himself and He begins to do works where you go, Ah, that's incredible. Look what God's doing among us. Be ready to have people mislabel it out of fear, out of the fact that they're losing control, to call it evil. In your Bible, if you look at this, it's, there's a couple different words for Beelzebub. In, in your footnotes, it's be, Beelzebul or Beezebul. And I'm not going to get into all the distinctions and how it derived and got to that point. You can read that in commentaries. There, there's all kinds of studies on that. But the root idea of the word is worthlessness. And the label would mean this. When they said Beelzebub, it meant Lord of the Flies, or it could mean Lord of Dung. And if you ever think of a porta potty on a hot day, what hangs around it? He's basically saying, Beelzebub, this prince of the air, which Ephesians 2.2 tells us, he's the, 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 the prince of the kingdom of the air. This one, Beelzebub, rules these flies who find themselves around entry points where there's infection and they, they, they love to hover and create more disease of the heart, soul, and body. And what is interesting here is that Satan, who's considered... The Lord, the prince of the air of these demonic spirits. This Jesus, who is the anointed presence of God through the Holy Spirit showing up in flesh, is now being called the unholy, evil Lord of all darkness. And we hit a low point. And so we read in Scripture as you go on that Jesus looks at them. Look at verse 25 and 26. And he answers their charges with three answers. It's a very rabbinic thing to do. Three was an important thing because you could memorize three things well. So he gives three answers. He gives really two. And then also he goes into a third one, kind of throws it on. Because he gives you two, and then he gives you the implication of the two, and then throws in that third one. Look at the verses. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Let's get rational, guys. He, he uses an intellectual argument here. He's not really appealing to emotions or anything. He's just saying, let's intellectually take a look at this. Jesus is so logical. I have to share with you, following the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the greatest things in the world because although we're called to our full emotions and when we sing and worship, there's nothing wrong with raising your hands or or showing your emotion because if you went to the Viking game today and if the Vikings were actually to win and you're a Viking fan, you would get emotional. There's nothing wrong with getting emotional in the presence of God who has won a victory for your soul. And there is nothing wrong with our intellect, the mind that God has given us. We are to serve Him and love Him with all our heart and our soul and our mind. That we take our mind and we look at the Word of God and we gather with other people and we think through very clearly. And Jesus did that. He calls us to live by our spirit, in the spirit, using our minds and our emotions and our bodies all for Him. And so he answers their charge by saying, this is really foolishness if you think about it. Use your head. Civil war isn't a good thing, right? It has disastrous results. Just think of our own civil war in our own country. 
Praise God, it hasn't continued for year after year after year. We would never see the progress that God has allowed for us to experience. There are some countries around the world that have civil war, and it's gone on for years and years and years and years, and they are in extreme poverty. Jesus is just saying, when it comes to this whole matter of whether I could really be Satan showing, throwing, you know, showing up here and, and doing works against Satan, it's like a civil war in the midst. It doesn't make sense, guys. Let's get real. Internal strife makes continued existence almost impossible. His second answer in verse 27 comes with this implication in verse 28. And it should be obvious the implication to the humble, spiritually sensitive heart. Verse 27, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judge. The words your people is really students or pupils in that sense in Matthew. He could have said, and who do your students? Because in that day and age, those who were um, a part of the Jewish pharisaical faith, there were people who would go about who were casting out demons. There were people who did that. You read in Acts chapter um, 19, verse 13, there's these Jews who were going into the area following the followers of Jesus, casting out demons, but they saw how effective it was in the name of Jesus that they started to use the name of Jesus. So here are these Jewish, probably from a pharisaical party, following followers of Jesus, trying to cast out demons by the name of Jesus. And it says that the demonic spirit in the person riled the person so much so that out of the strength of that thing, he attacked those people who were trying to do the exorcism. And it says after they beat him up, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. There's no alive spirit that empowers you. To have the victory over us. And so, Jesus says, who are you students doing it by? He uses an argument, and if you've been in philosophy, logic, um, as my professor would say, ad, uh, I can't say how he does it, ad hominem, but he would say ad hominem, um, which is an argument that appeals to a person's prejudices, their emotions, or their special interests. So he goes from the intellectual to special interests, and he says, if, you're, if your students are doing this, then whose power are they doing it by? And he says... Come on. Satan's not going to fight against Satan. I do this, you do this, so if what you do so if I do what you do, what power do you do it by? And Jesus then gives the implication. Verse twenty eight If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then this is really critical here. The kingdom of God has come upon you. He has been saying at times that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is just around the corner. The kingdom of God is near. He now turns it and he says, when you actually see the work of God showing up, manifesting itself, the Spirit of God working in hearts and lives of people where you look back and go, that was God. Then he says, God's Spirit is present. God Himself is present. So in this sense, when the Spirit is manifest, God is here. So if the Spirit impacts the physical, the second thing is this. When the Spirit is manifest, shows up, and the signs and wonders and that is shown, God's present. That's what Jesus is saying to him. So Matthew writes, by the Spirit of God, because ultimately this is about the Spirit and the anointing upon Jesus through the Spirit. Because if you read back in Luke, it says that Jesus was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, went into the desert where his character was under the testing for 30 days, and 30 nights and days, and 40 days and nights. And he went through that time of trial, and it says, then he came from there and returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so Matthew says, that's what you see. 
Now, here's a, here's a truth to, to be aware of. The greater revelation you have, the more you see of God, the more responsible you are before Him. I'm sorry to share that. The greater revelation, the greater the responsibility. Another way to say it is, to whom much is given, much is what? Expected in return. He's looking at these leaders who are the Pharisees, and he's saying, you're seeing all this work of God, and yet you will not humble your hearts and be able to to repent and move to a place so that God can begin to rule in your hearts. You are so still wanting to find your approval and your goodness in who you are. And it really ultimately comes down to your pride and ability to control. And as long as you stay there, you can never allow the control of God to come into your heart and life. It isn't going to happen. You may know all about the Bible, he says to the Pharisees. You may know all about these traditions. But if you remain in this place, because that's what he, he gets to, verse 29. He puts the nail in the proverbial coffin, and I'm sorry for the pun on Halloween day, but here's his final answer. He says, oh yeah, let me give you one third one. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong and then he can rob the house? Strongholds, folks, are held by strong men. They are the flies that gather around the infection and wound that create that damage. And so when the powerful realm of God and the Spirit shows up and grace becomes manifest, the presence of God, he says, is here. When you begin to see those effects of the spiritual through the natural, you're beginning to see the long-expected reign of God and heaven becomes manifest on earth. And Jesus then looks at the people who are standing in neutral curiosity. And I just challenge you, if you're in this place of neutral curiosity, or you're in this place where you've actually opened your heart to Jesus, but you're really not living fully for Him, I just want to challenge you. He looks at them and He says, quit looking at the signs. Quit looking with wonder. Quit looking with this sense of awe. Quit looking at this visible manifestation and turn your eyes to God because in this, God is here and He's calling your heart to fully follow Him with everything you have. He's asking you to be an anointing of God through the Holy Spirit. He's asking for you to say, Father in heaven, fill me so fully with your Holy Spirit that like Jesus, I walk with an anointing that allows for you to move through me. I just challenge you. Because in a very indirect way, that's what Jesus is saying. If you look at these words, if you go on and you'll see, He says in verse 30, He who is not with me is against me. Isn't that an interesting way of saying to the neutral, curious person, hey, look, if you're not with me, if you're not actually on board, engaged with me, then you're standing against me. And now he changes his tune a little bit in this verse, and he says something to those who are actually standing against him. And he says to them these words. He basically says, and he who does not gather, get involved and and be a part of it, scatters. And I think he says this purposely because he's looking at those who are standing around murmuring these words and their words and their complaints and their criticism, the rejection was causing a scattering. And he looks at him and he says, guys, it's time to stop. You need to get engaged, get involved and gather with the work of God. And he who does not gather with me scatters. You have a choice, says Jesus, to scatter or gather And when you see God show up and God is present, 
put all the cards on the table. I call us as a church to put all that we have into this. This is about people being filled with the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God begins to move through them and begins to cause them to have dreams and and, an understanding of who they are and their destiny that their lives become so filled with the power of God that the power of God begins to change you and your marriage and your family. It begins to change the places you live and you work. It begins to move through you in such a way that this place as a body could change the world. Because God's present. And so you read these verses, and so I tell you, which is an interesting thing, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men. Isn't that interesting? Every sin and blasphemy will be given, forgiven by men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. He doesn't say Jesus. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's an interesting thing. You guys, right now, he says to him, God in flesh is here, and you can speak against me and blaspheme me. You'll actually put me on the cross. That still does not remove you from thy presence. There is still an opportunity. And he comes some years later through Paul the Apostle one more time, and the Spirit of God comes, and that the nation of Jerusalem rejects. And that, we tell us in AD 70, in history, that nation was leveled. That's kind of what he's saying. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's an interesting thought. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing, which is the presence of God, which is manifest and looks at the presence of God, the manifestation of God, and begins to speak against it, and begins to, to, instead of gather with it, begins to scatter and divide and destroy, that is an unforgivable sin in the sense that that is a sin that says, I want nothing to do with you, God. I want nothing but your presence. And Jesus is getting really, he's just getting right down to the basics and saying, this is about beginning to move into relationship and follow me so that my spirit begins to move through me. And when my spirit begins to move through me, watch out. And that's our prayer, isn't it? That's our prayer that God would move in such a way. That God would begin to move with His Spirit. But He says the conscious, willful rejection of God's presence, the, the Spirit, His anointing, whether I think on the anointing of Jesus or any work where God's Spirit is active, is not just some mistaken, misguided direction or choice. It's unforgivable. So when heaven invades earth, What's our response? I uh, will close with this. I had an operation on my knee, an arthroscopic operation, where they were just going to deal with a meniscus tear. And as I went to the doctors, it, I was amazed at how, how they were so cautious to make sure they labeled everything so they knew it was this knee. They must have problems with doing something like doing the wrong knee. They went through and from every medical person and finally the surgeon himself meets with me, looks at all the charts, makes sure it's all the right knee, and then he takes a permanent marker and he marks my knee with his name. I got his autograph. So that they would do the right knee. And I think it's so interesting how we are so careful to label so that we won't lop off a physical body part. But here's what's really interesting. Jesus said, 
Go ahead, lop off your hands, lop off your feet, pluck out your eye, because if it keeps you from me, the spiritual, and moving into that, heaven forbid. I, I tell you, I am so glad they did the right knee. And I love the fact they value that physical. But oh, may we be people that, that value the spiritual and label the spiritual when the Holy Spirit comes and do not stand back neutrally curious. Do not stand back condemning. But we say, God, we're all in. We're all in. I'm going to ask you, let's stand together and let's pray. And as the team comes to just close us in worship, I would ask that you would just quiet your heart for a moment and let God speak to you. I don't know where He's spoken to you, but you know what? I do know that God loves you so deeply. He loves you and wants to be a part of your life. And He just is waiting for you to just open your heart and say, God, come in, forgive me, move in me, fill me. You may have never done that before. It's so simple. It's just a choice with your will that says, God, I recognize Jesus and I ask you to be a part of my life. Jesus, forgive me for my sin and enter in. And for some of you, you've walked with Jesus like Maureen, but he's coming to you right now. and He's saying you've never asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life and, and said, fill me full. And you have an opportunity to do that as we sing this song.